Hey, this is Empires of the Future, and we're in the month of March. We are. And we are almost on a full year of COVID. Right. But, you know, it's looking like we're on our way out. Some places are already out. Whether Yeah, I mean, I mean Texas. Whatever and, that means. I think Texas is done. <laughs> right, Texas and Mississippi <laughs> have said, all right, we're going to be the guinea pig. We're just going to go out and see what happens. And, hey, you know, it's... Um, it's a, it's a question of wisdom, how to come out of it. I, I've seen, uh, you know, England's come out with the plan uh, for how they want to come out of it over there in the UK. And uh, obviously in America, we don't typically agree on things from sea to shining sea. A no, lot of different don't. ideas about how to do that. And so, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's weird because over the last few weeks, I don't know when, you know, anybody will be listening to this. Because um, right now it's, you know, like almost 60 degrees outside. Uh, two weeks ago, it was a snowstorm. Um, and we're swinging about 40 degrees every day, uh, and that's fine. It's just the way it is right now. Yeah, so maybe uh, people will be outside. Maybe it's soon. People won't have to wear their masks to church or wear church masks to a grocery store. Right. We'll see how long that lasts. And I know President Biden was not encouraged by some of the state's decisions to, to unmask. Um, I think the, the view is, hey, let's keep the same protocols. Let's keep with the vaccine and see where we are by the summer. And uh, maybe that is the right wisdom. Not really sure. Uh, they're not asking us what our opinion is, so we'll just keep doing what we're told. I suppose. That's right. um, but uh, talking about President Biden, he is a, a part of the religious left. He is. You know, and, it is historic. Um, and and I think it, especially as a kid, I think it would have been really strange to me if somebody had said, you know, JFK is the only Catholic president. Uh, I, I would have kind of called that a fluke. Of course, I had no idea about any workings of religion whatsoever um, as a kid. But uh, for Joe Biden to be our second Catholic president does seem kind of strange. Yeah. Right. As of course, the, Kennedy called himself the American president who happens to be Catholic kind of view, where he was going to take orders from the Pope, sure. I guess. Um, <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not, yeah. a, I'm not like a practicing yeah, hardcore like, Catholic right. or anything. <laughs> like the Pope has power or anything. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, Please. I'm in a hierarchical church, but I don't answer to it. Don't exactly. worry. Exactly. Uh, but I mean, if I want to call the Vatican, I could just call him up. But yeah, I'm not taking orders from the Pope. Right. But, uh, but by the other hand, though, I mean, there are a few, several Catholic dioceses that, would, like, one of them refused to give him communion mm-hmm. um, because of his view on abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, other Catholics have come out and, uh, and been very critical of him because of his view on abortion, on other social issues. Um, and so I've actually read recently that, yeah, Biden may be the second Catholic president, but really he's more like the religious left president in the sense that he kind of adopts a more mainline Protestant, mainline Catholic-type political views that don't necessarily fit a lot of other Catholics in the United States. Yeah, I mean... That's tough. So obviously uh, today we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about the religious left. We're looking at this article by Zach Stanton for Politico, and it it, it got this bold title, uh, You Need to Take the Religious Left Seriously This Time. Um, For anybody who's not been paying attention, there has been in the past uh, kind of a labeled rise of the religious left that didn't amount to much rising. Um, And so we'll look more at this today. Now, the funny thing about... um, saying, you know, our, our 
first president of the religious left is that a lot of our presidents, say through the 1800s, yeah. were you know Episcopalian right. uh, or Disciples of Christ, mm-hmm. um, Unitarians, mm-hmm. which I, I think would surprise a lot of John people. John Adams, I think, was Unitarian. Yeah, you know, I mean... Congregational, probably, but yet Unitarian in his theology, right? Right, right. You know, you have a lot of... Um, when you were closer to the Enlightenment back then, you got a lot of guys kind of going, you know what, yeah. I, I mean... I'm more about politics and then the God stuff. I'd like to keep it at sort of an arm's length. And I've got, uh, these guys had a lot of their own ideas about how it all worked. So it wasn't, um, it certainly wasn't conservative for a lot of them. Um, Because we've only had really one Southern Baptist president, which was Jimmy Carter, right? He was Southern uh, Baptist. What about Truman? Was he, I didn't know he was Southern Baptist. Or was he Baptist, meaning mm, like that's a good Missouri question. Baptist? We'd have to meaning, look further into that because he's But Missouri, I do know that Jimmy Carter was Southern Baptist in Georgia. Right. Still to this day right. teaches a Sunday school class, right? Right. But I don't know if it's uh, I Southern would say Baptist by fellowship anymore. Right, but right. It's like no, it's not. And, and Jimmy Carter is about also as mainline as yes. uh, you would get in terms of... Um, you know, kind of more humanitarian uh, right. causes than Christian, uh, right. specifically Christian causes. Jimmy Carter would have fit really, really well in Southern Seminary in seventies and eighties. That's true. Right. When that's he, true. When there's a the, there's an um, article, or not an article, but um, I think it's a Thinking in Public. Al Mohler, uh, one of his podcasts where he interviews people, and he interviews Jimmy Carter, and it's fascinating to hear them talk yeah. about. You know, because Jimmy Carter would have liked the seminary before Al Mohler became right. president much more than he likes it. <laughs> 30 years after, uh, nearly 30 years after Al Mohler. Jimmy Carter lost that battle, didn't he? <laughs> yes, you know, and it's one of the few battles for uh, for kind of liberalism that has been lost. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, think of how many schools have progressively, I mean, we're going to be talking about one today in Union Theological Seminary that went yep. from uh, much more conservative, much more identified with uh, biblical Christianity, uh, and certainly now... Um, is not uh, right. identified with biblical Christian. I mean, even if you walked the halls, you would find uh, people uh, being taught Buddhism and Islam and uh, and, and non faith. I mean, level, yeah. you know, yeah, it's uh, it is it is this odd sort of um, you know, it's it's beyond a liberal arts. Uh, yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a syncretism. I mean, right. it's hey, we could bring all the religions right. together uh, as long as you know, they're, they're willing to play nice with each other. So you won't find much conservative Christianity being taught there, uh, nor conservative right. Islam, uh, right. <laughs> because they don't, the adherents of these religions don't, don't believe that they can be taught as both true. Right. Uh, meanwhile. So I guess, uh, you know, uh, as a means of definition, religious left, um, you know, you can think of it denominationally. Uh, we are sitting in a building built by the religious left. This mm-hmm. is the United Church of Christ right. building formerly before it became the home and now a Southern Baptist Church. Right. Um, and so um, the kind of the strong uh, early 20th century denominations of you know, even the Presbyterians who broke off from you know, PC USA and PCA, right. the PC USA are the more liberal right. mainline Protestants, right? Um, you think of... Um, uh, yeah, you know, Anglican. I mean, uh, Episcopal. Yeah, mm-hmm. Church of Church of England here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say even the Reformed Church of America, RCA, are now probably considered mainline Protestant. Yeah, um, There's probably very uh, United Methodist. Right, United they Methodist. just split now, so you definitely have a religious left. Right, uh, Disciples of Christ. Right, uh, would be in there. American. So very much in the Texas. 
that type of southwest part of ten, of America mm-hmm. where the disciples of Christ a lot of them are. Right. Uh, American Baptists who when yeah. the northern southern Baptist split happened uh, the northern Baptists began calling themselves American Baptists and have identified more with mainline, mainline uh, Christianity. There's, there's a, a phrase called the Seven Sisters of uh, Mainline Christianity, uh, and I think we're nearly there, if not there, and you can easily look up Seven Sisters if you want to keep straight in your head. Um, you will see uh, church buildings associated with uh, these uh mainline denominations all over mm-hmm. uh, the United States. Um, if you drove around uh, Evansville, you'd see these all over the place. You'd see them in uh, small towns. Typically, yep. they were built, um, say, 1800s, early 1900s. These churches were much stronger uh, 150 years ago right. uh, than they are today. <laughs> and so peaking uh, at that period of American history, late 1800s to the early 1900s, uh, tying in with that political power, that mm-hmm. uh, the politics were stronger, that the, uh, they were associated. But, you know, um, looking into this, kind of getting trying to get really detailed about when all this uh, began to uh, split off in our country, uh, I was reading about that after the Civil War, the tensions between uh, evangelicals and uh, non-evangelicals uh, began to reemerge, and B.B. Uh, Warfield, who is held up at uh, the seminary we graduated yeah. from at Southern Seminary as a, as a great champion of conservative Christianity, yeah. uh, began to split. Uh, he and A.A. Uh, a. Hodge uh, began to split, and the opponent, the, the person who went with German higher criticism, uh, meaning uh, there's, an, there's a movement in, in Germany uh, that began to say, hey, you know, look, that that Bible may look like, it may tell you it was written by the Apostle Paul, but we can analyze uh, the language and tell you that a lot of it probably wasn't, that in right. fact a lot of this is uh, added uh, later, that you can, you can the, the tougher parts of the Bible can be removed. Right. And that was actually Demystifying led. Demystifying uh, a lot of the scripture. Yeah. Right, right. That you don't have to believe in the virgin birth to, to uh, be a, a Christian believer. You don't have to believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. Right. Uh, and that was led by a guy named Charles A. Briggs of Union Theological Seminary. Uh, we, what we're looking at today is an examination of the current president of Union Theological Seminary and this claim that religious left is, is, um, is experiencing a sort of renaissance. And so we're asking, is that happening? It is fascinating historically to look at the fact that um, Union was the center of controversy there right after the Civil War, and the thing that if you uh, look at Baptist history or religious history in this country, you'll run into the what they call the fundamentalist modernist controversy, mm-hmm. um, and it started. It's like the the fire was lit there at Union, and between uh, Charles Briggs, who was then the president of Union Theological Seminary, right there in the heart of New York, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, between B.B. Warfield, who was at Princeton, Uh, at the time where Princeton was at that time the opponent Mm -hmm. of uh, liberalism in theological, uh, theologically speaking. Uh, Princeton is not now an opponent of that anymore. Yeah, and of course, seminary we went to is its foundation is the old Princeton, you know, and um, a lot of the inspiration of what, you know, Dr. Muller established at Southern Seminary comes from a lot of the Princeton background and things like that. So uh, it is sad to see like that being the last guard of like the original Ivy League schools that have now fallen into liberalism and it held on so long you know because harvard went liberal very soon into 18th century but then princeton stayed strong for so long but Mm -hmm. uh now it's it's not that way right right? um and and so 
Yeah, you know, I, I, to be kind of personal, I worked um, for when I was a student at Southern Seminary, the headquarters for the PCUSA is in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And, and so I worked uh, in their publishing company. I was uh, like an ebook editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wasn't like, I wasn't writing books. I wasn't formulating like anything significant. I wasn't agreeing with their doctrine. It was just a desk job, you sure. know, as I was going to school. And, uh, and so to be at Southern Seminary, a very conservative, Bible-believing institution, and then to be working at a denomination that is liberal right. theologically and politically. Currently, if you drive down the interstate past uh, Louisville on the building, because the building's right next to the Yum Center, is a massive Black Lives Matter flag mm-hmm. on the building, right? Mm-hmm. So as this article gets into like its support of these protest movements, you see it even on display of their building kind right. of who who they are. It's not really, they're not defined by their belief in Christ or their belief in the Bible. Their identity is politics. Right. Um, and uh, while I think in this article they criticize conservative Christians as almost putting politics before their faith, I don't know if I would see them doing that much differently. Right. And so I think you, you could pretty much, I think, have a, you can criticize both groups for almost putting politics ahead of their faith identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think, uh, especially when we were moving into this particular building, this church was known more for, again, political yeah. activism, not like pro- proclamation of the Bible or teaching the Bible in any ways. Right, and I think this goes to the heart of what you and I are doing here, is that uh, we find our identity as followers of Christ first. Right. And uh, whatever flows out from that. Yes, we have political beliefs. We have things that we believe are wise uh, for people, even in the way that we might vote. Uh, uh, but we want the truth, and we think the truth of Christ is the most important truth. And that any of these, uh, any of these questions about what people ought to do in, in the current climate, politically, those are secondary. That, I mean, uh, I, I, have, I have newness of life because of Christ crucified and risen, and that's right. and that's that is uh, that is how I think we fit into the context of this story because a part of the story of what happened to the religious left is that uh, the activism got a hold of this body as a whole, and then uh, what they call the social gospel, this emphasis on uh, social action, helping the right. poor, and things that we are to be known as as believers overtook any kind of real commitment right. to Christ to the message of the gospel, to, to believing the Bible first. And the result of that is, um, and what's kind of lacking in this presentation is, so the simplest way to present this would be, okay, the religious left is finally going to get its day because we're, we've heard enough about religious conservatism. And it's like, well, look, this, the story in this country, I mean, the religious left has had its day. They have, yeah. And the fault lies in losing Christian identity uh, in social gospel activism and and the proof is in the pudding. There are not thriving mainline churches today. Yeah, the numbers just, it, it, just prove it. If you were to leave your house this Sunday at uh, 10 o'clock, and you, for the next 10 weeks, drove to 10 mainline churches, mm-hmm. all those denominations we mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, look, I love older folks, but what you're going to find is an aging group uh, that, that is more unified by 
what you're talking about, political action than right. they are by any any uh, scriptural declaration or cause of Christ. Uh, I'm not saying that they, uh, you know, there there's diversity uh, in those who are following Christ. But when you have, have no more Christian distinctive, you just have political distinctives, you're not a Christian organization anymore. Exactly. And, and so that's, that's where we are. I mean, you, you don't, it's not that wherever you live, it's not that um, if you don't find thriving mainline churches in your area, uh, you know, go somewhere else. Well, they're just not there. Yeah. They're, they're, it's not happening anymore. Right. I even think religious left is a bad, a bad describer. It's not really religious at all. It's, it's secular more at the core than it is religious. If anything, it's just traditional liberalism. Um, and I, even like reading some of these numbers, like 41% of self-identified liberal congregations lobbied or marched about immigration in 2018 and 2019. I guess in 2012, it was only 5%. They kind of feast off political movements. Mm-hmm. Without any political right. movements, they're, they're dead, right? right? And so uh, they almost... like. The only way to stay even relevant is for there to be political marches or protests to be a part of. And, and which the problem, though, with some of this article is almost not identifying also that amongst people who care about some of the racial issues in our country aren't only the religious left. Right, right. There are plenty of conservative, uh, sh- strong believers in the authority of God's word that were a part of protests and marches against racism in the United States as well. Right. I mean, John MacArthur walked in the civil rights movements in the 60s as well. Like, is this is this, this sense that it was only the, the conservative religious are the ones kind of ones throwing the rocks, right. I think is a, a totally misunderstanding of who's a natural crowd. Right. And uh, where the gospel, the gospel doesn't, you know, if someone believes the gospel and, and, and is firm in it, it doesn't lead us to then hate and have hostility or alienate. It, it causes us to want to share and proclaim that truth right. um, and to proclaim the love of Christ, not to proclaim hate. And I think that's where there's a, uh, a misunderstanding or just a complete ignorance of what the true gospel is. Um, and as if they, as a religious left, especially mainland Protestants, as if they have the real gospel by ignoring it yeah. completely. Uh, and that's just, um, you, you can see, like, as this church that we're sitting in currently, that that is a uh, recipe for death. I mean, you just go down, you can go online, and I like the your your endowment numbers here for the Union University. This is, this is exactly, and similarly, Louisville Seminary across the street from Southern, mm-hmm. which is uh, connected to the Presbyterian uh, PCUSA denomination, that they're... They have a beautiful campus, and they probably have a fairly large endowment, but there's, like, no students there. Right. And that's really the actual reality, that um, while they may be part of movements and they may be part of somebody's political uh, activism, if you get down in the, underneath the foundations, there's nothing there. It's on the sand. Right, and, you know, here's the first quote that uh, Zach Stanton has. This is an interview mostly of Serene Jones, who is the current president of Union Theological Seminary there in New York. But um, one of his summaries of what he sees going on, he says, uh, quote, but to look at America's religious left at this moment is to see something genuinely different. Places of worship are participating in demonstrations for civil rights larger than any protest movement in American history. Democrats like Reverend Raphael Warnock and Joe Biden, political leaders whose faith isn't just incidental to their public personas, 
but is a core component of both their identities and their appeal to voters, are staging important victories. Well, I mean, the first thing to say is, and I, I would hope that uh, if... The Warnock went to Union, right? Yes. The Union, yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he's he, a graduate of He won the Union. Senate race in Georgia, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he did. Uh, so the first thing to say is that um, both Raphael Warnock and Joe Biden um, are part of the greater American story of what has gone on uh, religiously. And the greater American story is um, more complicated than just, well, the religious left uh, activism and that at this moment we finally have, you know, a, a rise. Yeah. Um, it, it has been in decline for a long time. Yes. And, um, and there are reasons why that are pretty plain to see. I've heard laments from people who are kind of more on the religious left who say, why can our people not take the Bible and, and, and live by it? Well, you don't hold it up as an authority. As right. an, as an, I mean, look, to a conservative, the Bible is the sole authority by which I'm judging my life. I mean, right. everything else comes under right. the authority of Scripture, so it has power. The, the verses that I, I like as well as the verses that I don't like. Right. And listen, if, if you don't have the Bible as... Uh, the prime authority in your life, you're picking and choosing parts of it. And then what you have is um, kind of one of those uh, little inspirational books that you can keep on your nightstand. It's like, mm -hmm. look, it's way higher than that. I mean, yeah. that's uh, verbal plenary inspiration, meaning that the, the words, the grammar of, you have the words of God there. That, that's, that's activating. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I mean, what, part of what you're saying is, look, we, we ought to, as believers in, in Jesus Christ, we ought to be animated, and we have been. You know, a character like Martin Luther King Jr. is more complicated uh, than just, oh, he's a figure of the religious left. No, no, he was, uh, right. he was a part of, he was a Southern Baptist, first of all. Yeah. He, he was not a figure of the left. Um, that that there, there are, there are questions where you kind of go, well, you know, there, there are some things that the religious left might claim about Martin Luther King, but in general, he did not categorize himself that way. Um, and, and so what we're dealing with here is uh, a, a rise, a, a small rise in a movement that has lost its vigor. Um, and, and we'll look at today why it lost its vigor and if, if genuinely, I mean, there, there, there are going to be some some what I think are sad statements by Serene Jones about, you know, why why don't we take our faith seriously? It's like, well, look, it's hard to yeah. when you're dealing with the Bible as as a self help book. Yeah, um, and I think even I mean to be honest, this is probably the last gasp of the baby boomer generation, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, which makes up mm -hmm. mainline Protestantism, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's not like you go to a mainline Protestant church. You're going to see a bunch of young families there. No, you I mean, won't see a lot of Generation X. My right. people are my They've age. All, they uh, all ran away from right. that, and they you haven't won't see come back. Millennials, you won't see Gen right. Z in general. And that is one of the one of the issues that the kind of the mainline Protestant religious left have is that they have moved so far to the left, and they've abandoned the Bible pretty early on that they're not interesting. Um, like they even mentioned in this article that conservative Christians typically get all the media coverage is because you're boring. Everyone knows what you think and believe. Like, you're not controversial. You're, you, you've already gone. You've already adopted homosexuals in the clergy. You did that years ago. Um, so, like, what else is there to, 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 to tune into, right? right. 
Um, you're, you're dropping in numbers. There's no uh, energy. There's no spirit. There's right. no uh, vibrancy at all. They're not doing any great mission work around the world. Um, and so they are whatever the politics are. And, and you're talking about a, a, a generation that have been very relevant for a long time, and, but they're getting older. And, and so their institutions, like the, these mainline Protestants, are, are dying, and they're giving their buildings over to younger churches full of young families that do hold to a very, they hold firm to God's word, right? Well, yeah, and, and I mean, and that's a, that's a very bold point that you're making. What are your distinctives? And, and that's, that's the issue. That's I mean, the issue. because you can't even say, well, our distinctives are uh, our bold Christianity. Well, what, what about, what, what even of Christianity do you boldly hold to? Right. Well, there's nothing. Right. There is nothing. Right. There's not moral distinctives, nor are there doctrinal distinctives, as in it, it's very muddy. Mm-hmm. It, it is very take what you like, leave what you don't like. Uh, obviously, what you're going to find in, in the religious left is that uh, total acceptance of the sexual revolution. So you don't, uh, but it's not as if by leaving the sexual ethic behind, they have picked up some sort of rigor in terms of right. some sort of personal devotional life. They're, that's not there. So what is, what is exciting about it? And, that's, and I say this as somebody who's saying, look, if, if you're in, uh, in, in one of these mainline churches, I, I ask you, what is it that would make you different? Mm-hmm. From any other nonprofit, I mean, right. there are hundreds of nonprofits. After after what we've experienced in our country for the last forty years, where nonprofits have just popped up all over the place, mm-hmm. what what makes you different? Nothing. Uh, there isn't. There There's just nothing. isn't. You just you're holding on to what what many in that that group are saying are irrelevant. We don't need a cross to make us more loving. We don't need a Bible to make us more loving. We, we feel like we can be loving by our own will. So why use the decoratives? Why, use the, why waste my Sunday mornings being a part of a crew that I can just right. read or listen to something that will pretty much say the same thing? Right. Um, so it doesn't fit. Right. It just right. doesn't fit. And so you have a group of people who are still like, who believe that they, the, the, the kind of the, the civil rights, the, the political agenda are somehow tied to this religious tradition where many of your younger, the younger ones that you agree with, like they've ditched that stuff. Right. They don't need that stuff. And you're still holding on to it. And that's why there's no one coming to it. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I really, I, I think the summary of what the kind of the, the call to action is, do good as you see it. And that's just not a very compelling call to action. I mean, do the good that you find in yourself. Well, I mean, people don't need to join anybody for that. Yeah. I mean, Mm-mm. it's vague and, and undefined. And just so, I mean, there's a reason why um, even beyond uh, what you were talking about, that there, there frankly is more vibrancy in more conservative churches. Uh, but there, there are not numbers mentioned in this, but I just, it made me very curious at what we're dealing with. And so uh, at Union Theological Seminary, these are statistics from 2017, uh, they had 210 students. In, uh, in their program for Christian service, Islam, Buddhism, uh, kind of generalized spirituality. And, and this is, they have, they have quite a few programs, but... Uh, Not but many I mean, students have so, Well, yeah, and yeah. that's, um, and here's the comparison. If you, if you ask, well, why has the uh, 
the more conservative church has gotten so much more press over the past few years. At, at the, sem- the school that you and I graduated from, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary alone, and it's a fair comparison because uh, Southern Seminary is the largest seminary in the world and the flagship seminary of the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, Union is not the largest, but still very influential. Sure. Uh, has an endowment, by the way, of $112.6 million. So there's still people who are giving to it. That's a historic thing. Uh, but Southern Seminary has 5,489 students as of 2017. Uh, 5,489. Uh, that's 25 times the size uh, of <laughs> Union. And, and, and if you're asking, yeah, why have uh, religious conservatives gotten more, uh, more attention? Well, look, I mean, the numbers alone, you're talking about 25 times more people from the start here. And, you know, look, we can go, uh, there's South, in, in the Southern Baptist Convention alone, we have six seminaries. There's one in South, Southeastern, one down in Texas, Southwestern. There's one in San Francisco, Golden Gate, or now Gateway Seminary. Um, and so we have six, and, and that's just, there are other conservative seminaries in Presbyterian Church uh, of America. And, uh, and so, so, you know, I looked at uh, Princeton. I think Princeton might be the largest mainline seminary. There's something like 400 students. But still yet, I mean... Yeah, in comparison. No, it's, it's just not a lot of vibrancy. And yeah, we, we have a rise right now. Uh, it, is, it is because there has been... Uh, it, uh, this is a great explanation that you have. Because we have experienced a rise in activism, mm-hmm. that does seem to give a little bit of vibrancy to what is a long-standing social gospel movement in a lot of these churches. They're motivated to do something. And so uh, notice that the claim uh, in that first quote even was that our people are at the rallies. They're not a church. Right. There's not a commitment to regular gathering for the purpose of Christianity. Right. Of worship, growth, learning. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it's, it's active, and I like activism. I mean, it's not, the, the measure of a, uh, of a Christian is not how often they sit in the pew. Uh, there's more to it than that, but that's a part of it. Being part of a, of a body is important. Uh, but let's get to yeah. Serene Jones. We've mentioned Serene Jones a few times. Uh, she's the current president of Union Theological Seminary. And um, she points to, here are the things she points to as their major... Um, kind of emphases right now. She points to universal basic income, uh, for example, as a religious foundational principle. And she says that's become a lively topic of political debate, as it is, and says that religious communities are also taking the lead on education and training to combat white supremacy. So uh, these, are, these are notions of the political left. Um, right. But you don't need Christianity to... Right. To articulate these things. Right. So, I mean, just the whole, like, it's a seminary. So it's, it's a theological seminary. And it's about the study of God and a robust study of God, like, doesn't typically lead to this, like, focus. Right. And I say that, listen, as a religious conservative, I'm against white supremacy. Yes. Yeah, so and I, I believe people ought to be given whatever their job deserves right. in terms of pay. Right. But there's nothing Christian. In, in those things per se. It was no different. They're not religiously motivated or no. motivated by Christianity uh, in, in the immediate. Uh, there's nothing that begins Christian there. Those are things that you can end up with in a... A, university, a New York University. Right. Or Columbia University. Right. Or Harvard. Or any of the, uh, anywhere that a student could go and get a, uh, a bachelor's of whatever. 
these topics may get pressed upon in certain subjects and classes, or may you have to write papers. But to say like that is the focus of a theological education is like I, it's just it's it's not relevant. It's it's uh, redundant, I guess, uh, in a sense. It's not re- relevant in any way. It's not producing. Uh, people who are who are actively studying God's word to teach to people and to lead them right. in spiritually in any right. way. Yeah. Right. So uh, she says next, uh, quote, the big misconception is that the progressive religious voice in this country is suddenly coming to the fore. It has been there a long time. It has a longer history in this country than the evangelical right wing. Okay. And we uh, now... Th- we agree that the history is longer. Uh, it's a great here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, before the Civil War, uh, German higher criticism did hadn't come to this country, yeah. and so you don't have. Uh, it's not that you know religious liberalism has always been here. Uh, no. You know, it's not that you know Jesus or the Apostle Paul. I I, I don't know if she would argue that or not, but um, it's a, such a bad uh, reading of like. Uh, Christian history in America, like again, we, we study church history and stuff. And yes, maybe the founders were progressive in sure. their Christianity. We we've talked about John Adams, sure. Thomas Jefferson, right. famously, you know, cut out the right. the right. miracles in the New Testament. So right. yes, but but we also know that, and this is somewhat forgotten. You know, the only reason why this is on my mind because I taught a class on this is that John Wesley and Methodists and also the Baptists. As the United States moved further west, that's when a lot of the Methodists and the Baptists really grew as they grew as they moved westward with the pioneers. And what actually the reason why a lot of the evangelical denominations, like like Baptists, are so big, mm-hmm. is all because of that that uh, that history. And at that time, a lot of the established denominations, your Presbyterians, especially your right. your Church of England. They were so established in the cities and in the theological schools that they were not moving with the people. Right. And actually, the, re- the reason why, again, that evangelical denominations are so much bigger is because they moved with the pioneers. And right. like that's just—I uh, was reading this recently. From, um, from 1810 to 1844, the Baptists grew by 320%. Wow. They grew that much right. because they preached a simple gospel— and the people preaching it were the of the people. They weren't from the, right. the elite right. from the cities. They weren't right. from the New Yorks and the Bostons and the Philadelphias or the New Jerseys like where right. Princeton is. These were of the people. They preached the gospel to the people, and people believed it right. and responded to it. Right. So Yeah, these are very populist movements, uh, Baptists and Methodists, that mm-hmm. uh, we still to this day, Baptist churches do not wait for some board to uh, send them a pastor. Nope. Uh, pastors apply, they're checked out. And, and this is a big difference. If, if you're not familiar with this sort of thing, if, if you're waiting on any bureaucracy to send a minister, say, to, I mean, if you're in uh, frontier Nebraska, right. boy, uh, you got to find somebody. If you are a bureaucracy, then they're, they're going to say to you, well, how are you going to fund this? How right. are you going to do it? But uh, as a... As a Movement that is grassroots. Look, people hear about it and they go yeah. as led by God, not expecting anybody else but God to take care of and them. The and reason, that's what it has been. And the reason why there is a lot of universities started is because as the Methodists and Baptists went westward, they had to establish schoolings sure. to train their pastors and missionaries. Sure. Right. And that's why you have Northwestern hmm. near Chicago. Yeah. 
uh, which is a Methodist school, right? Um, and why you have other Baptist and, and Methodist schools right. as they were trying to reach the people as they were pioneering West. Right. And, um, and that, again, that's, that's an important part of this history that I, I'm, I'm afraid Miss um, Jones is forgetting or it's completely ignorant of. Right. You know. Right. And so, you know, uh, every story has to be told in a short way, but a part of uh, why I liked this story is I think there is a lot here. Um, it, it's just, uh, I, I think it is a funny story, like I said, that Joe Biden is our second Catholic president. You know, look, uh, early on, a lot of people were afraid. There had been Catholic and Protestant wars in Europe for over 100 years, yeah. and the United States was... Um, Protestant, uh, you know, we, we've talked about in the past on this podcast about how colonies had basically established religions, and they were all uh, Protestant uh, for the most part. Uh, and then we decided that as a, as a unit, we're not going to establish religion, um, so that religion can be something that the government doesn't have its hand in, which was new uh, and very different than what was happening in the rest uh, of the world. But still yet, uh, there was sort of an unsaid, hey, Protestants are a little little easier uh, for us to work with. We don't trust Catholics because of that hierarchy, the the Pope having authority. um, And so for a long time, there was not a Catholic president. Yeah. Through all of the late 1700s to the 1800s, all the way up until John F. Kennedy, yeah. 1960. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, you present a good history. I mean, you have a, a large group of the Americans who left Europe to get away from Catholics and had a very negative view of Catholics. And that was a pretty common view for a long time, even because you ended up, you know, even with the other uh, groups of immigrants from like the German and the Eastern European countries that come to the United States, right. they still have the same view of Catholics, oh, yeah. you know, um, for many of them. And, and so that's why, it, you know, I think it was Al Smith, who was a New York politician. They had the Al Smith dinner, which is a very, very pro-Catholic political, you know, dinner and things mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, I think he ran for president in the early 20th century and lost, because, but yet that was kind of a breaking of the ice mm-hmm. as like maybe a Catholic can be a high political leader right. in the United States. And of course, JFK was a unique, and you know, he was young, he was energetic. His Catholicism was not a part of that, right. a major part of his, who he was. And so hence he was able to become president. But yeah, then you have, they didn't have one after, even though we have a lot of Supreme Court justices. Right. There. Yeah. And that's <laughs> not, it's not that Catholics are lacking <laughs> no. in a lot of other areas of government. It's just the presidency. Um, like, yeah, like you said, uh, it's very strange right now. I don't believe there is a, uh, is there a Protestant on the Supreme Court right now? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Right, and that's that's an oddity. But uh, so it's part of the history of this country. Catholic suspicion is, you know, I mean, there was a big concern in, in New York and other places in the East when uh, Irish Catholic immigrants started yep. to come in. Uh, yep. I read uh, over some of New York's history, trying to understand more about uh, Union Seminary and, and thinking about this and um, kind of the first story for everybody who's lived in a city and seen how, uh, how what are suburban areas can become urban. Uh, that, that happened in New York, it seems, before anywhere else in these enormous uh, Baptist cathedrals and Presbyterian cathedrals are now located in very commercial districts because uh, there was, a, there was uh, 
an understanding. Uh, I mean, the 1800s, in a lot of ways, were the triumph of the mainline denominations. Yes, very much so. That, uh, that then saw many different influences come in and began to move northward uh, in, in the city, and that these enormous cathedrals still stand there as sort of a testament to what has yeah. happened in the past. It is weird because, you know, because a lot of these mainline Protestant churches, are, a lot of their power is connected to some of these powerful cities like New York, mm-hmm. uh, Philadelphia, um, all these different you know, herb, northeastern cities. Mm-hmm. And uh, which it, it, is, it very much is a, it was never uh, denominations of the people. They were always a denomination of the wealthy and the urban and the yeah. city folk. Um, and the evangelicals, especially from their history, has always been a, of the people yeah. uh, denomination. Um and it is interesting now that these denominations have now flipped and said that we are of the, the minority people, where the conservatives are actually of the, the elite. Right. And that's that way of twisting that, and almost in a sense presenting a propaganda that we are actually for the sake of the people and for those who are the overlooked and for the broken. Yeah, they're the ones that are the causers of, the, mm-hmm. or the ones that uh, that have provided legitimacy to mm-hmm. that. And uh, that is a really strange way by which we have come to this point. Um, because, um, again, the the even to the point right here where arguing that she gets her, her moral demands from her religion, and that gives her strength and courage, that is the same thing that we're that some are afraid that conservative evangelicals, if they were politicians and they were to legislate, that they would be legislating out of their religious worldview. Yeah. How are they doing anything different? There is a, a sense of like, well, we don't trust the, where you're getting your inspiration. You're getting your inspiration from the Bible and God's word, and God's word is patriarchal or whatever the terminology is. And our source is coming just from ourselves. Right. We can trust, I'd rather trust people and their own kind of, their own creative moral demands than actually the authority of God's work. Right, and that's, um, uh, everybody legislates morality, and, and that's just a fact. You're, yeah. either, you're either legislating humanistic, purely right. humanistic morality, or you are legislating broadly uh, a morality derived from a book like the Bible, right. uh, some sort of revealed right. uh, morality. Every but there's nothing else to legislate but morality. Right. So yeah. that's a misconception. <laughs> right. Right there. The thing about this is, is it's not a particularly inspirational morality. I mean, listen to what she says here. Like you said, she says, "My faith gives me the courage and the strength. In fact, the moral demand that I not turn away uh, from the suffering, but actually move towards the suffering and the sins." knowing that ultimately the love of God surrounds all of us, saints and sinners that we are, the love of God is universal. And here's the thing about this. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was tracking in, in a little part here. I was going, okay, okay, there's a part of this here. But look, you have not just a problem uh, of the lacking of clarity. This is not practically useful in anybody's life. Because look, right now, if you watch any disagreement that unfolds uh, online or in uh, in in a in between like personally between you and someone else, or between people who are uh, celebrities or I mean look, political uh, 
moral questions. Maybe uh, Andrew Cuomo's under fire right now. Um, <laughs> any of these that you might look at, here is the fundamental question. What is forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Why would we? In what circumstances should you forgive and how is it attained? And here's the thing. What she just said has zero, zero instruction Mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. Because here's your fundamental problem. I mean, this is a human problem. Somebody does you wrong. Mm -hmm. What do you do about your relationship with that person, Mm -hmm. given the fact that what if they do it again? Will they do it again? Mm -hmm. You don't know. Yeah. So what is the mechanism whereby you might offer forgiveness? And this, I think, is the question that everybody's dealing with right now because we've forgotten about forgiveness. It's not happening. It's a very practical problem because you have a breach of trust in that relationship, and how is it restored? Look, if you're a conservative Christian, it's as simple as this. You have revealed morality. There are sins. They need to be acknowledged. And she does, she does say acknowledgement repented of, right. turned from, away, yeah. you, you recognize and admit that that's death, that it did not come from God, that it came out of an evil heart that is willing to commit evil against God. But then further, all the evil has actually been done to God first and in including against other people, and that Jesus came to pay for that sin, but that he is forgiving all of your sins against him If you turn from them and trust him, they have been forgiven, and you can find new life every day in that. And that's how newness of life happens Mm -hmm. in a Christian church and in a Christian setting. As she talked about from her personal story, her grandfather was probably a part of a a luncheon of a a mother and and his son, I think that's what the story was. The question is, is is her grandfather, if he were alive, is he savable? Like, right. it's God's grace, powerful enough to save a man who's done that, who's done that evil right. and renew him. Right. That's something they don't have an answer to. Right, right. And, and it's, um, it's hard to read because, like you said, she shares this story that she found out I, sometime, I guess, in the last 10 or 20 years that um, her, through finding a picture, right. that somehow her grandfather... Uh, was involved in uh, a lynching, you know, in in the history of their family. In Oklahoma, right? You yeah. know, and she's trying to, to deal with that. Um, but, but there is nothing more that she has to offer than these sorts of statements. Find freedom. Know that the love of God is universal. Mm-hmm. Okay, but... No, there's a sense that wrong has been done. How right. are we going to deal with that fact? Right. And, and, and this is not, uh, I, I think it complicates the matter to look at wrongs that were done when we weren't present. Uh, look, there are wrongs that you know about, that people have done to you, and that you have done. What, what do you do about that? Right. There is a call for justice in that right. situation. Right. How do you get it? How do, right. What do you do? And, and that's, that's, that's not a, uh, this goes back to what we've been talking about, that look, spiritual matters are pressing. This mm-hmm. is pressing stuff. Yeah. If you've been hurt by someone before, you know it's pressing stuff to know what to do about it. Right. And look, Christianity says, yeah, evil is real. It can be thrown out of the heart of any human being at any moment. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Right. There is newness of life. There is, if you acknowledge at, with God, who has given his, his word to you to clarify what you're seeing in this world, he says, look, there is, there's good and evil. And there are, there are reasons why there's good and evil in your world. You're part of a bigger 
bigger frameworks. There are powers and principalities above you, and there's a God over all of it who has said, I, I speak good into the world, but there's evil as well. And what about you? Do you speak good into the world? And that you can agree with him that your sin deserved death, yeah. and that Jesus already bore it on the cross. And wow, there, there's power in that. There's just not power in these vague statements. Well, hey, the love of God is universal. Well, listen, here's the thing about that. Yeah, I believe love, God loves every human being. But what, is, what does that mean? Right. What, what do you do with that? Right. And, and Christianity has to give us more than, well, the love of God is universal. It just, it, it, it's a wonderful sentiment, but it's just not enough for what we need. I think you could tell Adam and Eve in the garden pre-fall, hey, the love of God is universal. They didn't need any more than that. Yeah. Oh, I think we do. Yeah. <laughs> we have to have you, more. You definitely, that. if you're a student of philosophy, you definitely see Hegel in so much a part of this is that God is, is not even personal. God's not historic. God is, if anything, if God is personal, he's very weak. Mm. I mean, all that he can give is love. He can't really actually bring justice. Um, he, um, there's a sense where really what is, what is grace or what is gospel is just progress, mm -hmm. progressiveness as we move forward, as we fight for, um, the new horizon or some uh, going, getting past um, old way of doing things and establishing new norms and new, new things. And, and this progress is really the divine, divine power. And, yeah. and so if you're a part of the prog progressive and the going forward, then that is good. That is positive. Um, but if you're wanting to fight for something that is in the behind is like, you are not embracing this God of love. And, I like how she, I mean, she brings up the Reformation, like uh, they're talking about in this interview, 500 years. And and she talks about how like we're maybe in a new Reformation, right? And yeah. again, but the problem though is again, a misunderstanding of history. The the the, the Reformers, it, it wasn't a, a spirit of progress. It was an antiquities. They went back to the sources. They went right. back to the Bible. Right. Right. That led them to progress. Right. Their progressivism is digressive because they're not going back to the word of God, which spurs us to love. It spurs us to understand our, that we are created equal in the eyes of God, right? That's what, that's what is lacking. And so, well, I, I think it's even easier to prove that this is a progressivism that is lacking because there's not a clear goal. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is, what is the, what does the person look like that you are uh, aiming for? Honestly, if you're, if you are straight about it, it seems to be, well, the person who loves themselves and does whatever they like. It's like, I don't think that's enough. Yeah. I mean, that's a sociopath to me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that, that's, not, that's not good enough. That's yeah. not a goal. Yeah. Um, listen, bare freedom, where you just, without conscience, do whatever you feel right. like doing. Oh, goodness, you don't want that. You don't which, want that out of people. Which has always been the, 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 the argument against liberal theology is they take biblical terminology but then remove it from historical truth and then just throw the words out there and hope they land on goodness right and it's like the the parable of the sower there's just like throwing out seeds and hoping it lands on good ground on good soil and it produces utopia right or heavenly things right. but just throwing out the word love or throwing out the word um grace or throwing out the word freedom those are just words and every, people are going to take those words and they're going to provide their own content to those things. And they're not even going to go the way that you think. Right. And, and, people, are gonna, and people are just using terms that they think have, have real definitions outside the Bible. But right. as we've talked about a lot in these podcasts, 
you take these terminologies and these words and you remove them from the biblical source, they don't have any meaning no. whatsoever. No, they and no, and they're not helpful. They're not it is helpful. not helpful. Yeah. Listen, I mean, if you're not think, concrete without the Bible, <laughs> right? If you think being free is our greatest need, I would encourage you to go find a 14 year old yeah. and say, "Hey, listen, you know your problem. You listen to people too much. You need to go just do whatever you feel like." Right. Listen, that's just I love 14 year olds, but that's not the thing to tell. Uh, what people, what we need not just 14-year-olds, all of us, is we need to learn what parts of ourselves need to die and what parts of ourselves need to thrive. And she seems to still have hints of this. I mean, she says, uh, quote, human beings in general are a mixture of the glorious things they're capable of and the horrible things that they're capable of. None of us can claim to be pure. I say yes and amen, absolutely. Uh, None of us can claim to be pure. And the more honest one can be about one's brokenness and the sins one has been responsible for, the more freedom one finds. From that, well, I, I, yeah, we should be honest, um, but I, I, I don't hear a prescription for freedom because freedom, freedom is beyond freedom from. We need freedom too. None of us. All right, we had a, bit, a battery problem there. We're fixed. And we're back. Is that the Super Bowl a few years ago? Remember when it went black? And they had to stop it for a little bit. Yeah, so it's like that. It's like that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me read this quote from uh, Serene Jones again. Uh, Human beings in general are a mixture of the glorious things they're capable of and the horrible things that they're capable of. None of us can claim to be pure, and we agree with that, certainly. Uh, And the more honest one can be about one's brokenness and the sins one has been responsible for, the more freedom one finds from that. Um, There is an almost there. It's an almost, because what you don't have is repentance, what you don't have is, is this very foundational Christian understanding that we can talk about freedom from, and the things that we need freedom from, I think at first we're pretty disagreed with Jesus on the things we need freedom from. He says that all sins are death to us, and we love certain right, sins. Right. Um, but we also need freedom too. There's none of us who are thriving apart from Christ. Right. We're not doing it. We're not. We're not. You're not bettering yourself apart from Christ. Yeah. Usually we're on the couch. Right. It's going back to like this, this going back to the self, you know, look inside yourself, be honest with yourself, be authentic and you'll find freedom. Again, you don't need the church. You don't need the church to do that for you. You don't need a seminary professor or president to tell you that. You can go to any self-help book. You can go to any uh, self-help talk show online or wherever, and you can get the same stuff. And if that's what you're buying, like you don't have to go to uh, Second Presbyterian Church of wherever to get that information because the world's selling that and it's in abundance. Right. Um, and so um, what the, the true church should be teaching and should be proclaiming is that, yeah, be honest with yourself. But that honesty is is revealed in God's word. That's where that's where our brokenness and our sin are, are revealed. And yeah, there's freedom in Christ Jesus. There is no freedom outside of Him. And so, just being honest doesn't give you freedom. Right. It's just okay. I'm broken. No, what do I do? That actually brings despair. Right. Right. Where's the right? Where do you go? Right. I mean, you if you are honest about what was going on in your darkest moments. Yeah, despair is where you're going to end up. We don't usually spend too much time thinking about our darkest moments, but despair is where you're going to end up. I'm reminded here of a peculiar uh, pronouncement from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Um, It's pretty provocative, especially in this context, but he um, he says, 
the Christian is the next stage of human evolution. Right. What you have, and this is bold, but he says, what you have in someone who has not approached Christianity is they have all these moral parts of them that don't make any sense. But Christianity makes sense of all of them. That They say, here's what you do with all the despair. Here's what you do with the d- desires you have to make more of yourself. Mm-hmm. What if God knows more about you than you do? Right. But still yet, if you can't trust yourself, who can you trust? It, it answers these questions that we are longing for. And, and it's bold, but rather than uh, this, this is sub-Christian to say, well, God loves everybody. Okay, but then what? Right. You know, I, the Bible has a lot to say about this is what God did because he loved everybody. He sends this Savior who, by the way, this is just not the character of the Savior. If you read the Gospels, Jesus is comforting to the poor. Jesus is very, very provocative to religious leaders of his day who are heaping laws on people but don't offer grace. Yes, we do offer grace, but we offer grace saying, listen, I'm a broken sinner like you, but I found new life. But it wasn't in me. It was in in Christ. Yeah. So... And I, you know, I, th- I think the other dynamic to all of this is that, yeah, you know, evangelical church, Southern Baptists, we have typically ministered to the people, and the people are blue collar; they're not always super educated, um, meaning they, they didn't have the ability to go off to elite institutions and be educated in, in, a, in a level that maybe she was able to or others are and uh and so yeah the people that are in our pews are people that are they are in conflict right they they love their country they love the red white and blue they love their families they love their guns um they love their sports teams um and this is who they are and that's who we're called to minister to we're we're called to minister to them and point them to the truth of the gospel not to rely on those things but to rely on the love of Christ and by that uh, care and love for those not like you. That's what we're called to. Uh, and I think there's a sense where the religious left, the, one of their biggest problems is they became the church of not the people, but of like the elite. Hmm. And they're like preaching down to the people, hey, you need to be more like us who are highly civilized and educated. And if you were more like us, you would actually be better. And that's the, that is a classism that is very much evolved in this. And that's what led Hillary Clinton, who is a part of Religious Left, to call a lot of evangelical as deplorable. Yeah. And there's that that class is that, that classless view that classless view or the, the 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 elitist to the unelite that is very much a part of this. And I think um, we are called to minister and to and to press upon people that being educated doesn't make you more godly. And, and uh, being more civilized doesn't make you more godly. Um, and, and so, so we, we want to preach the truth of God's word. We want to bring upon people the importance of God, the authority of God's word. We want to encourage people to read God's word and study God's word. Um, but at the same time, like loving them and, and being patient with them. And as Paul says to the church in Colossae, to, to present them complete in, in Christ, to maturity in Christ. Um, and that's what the religious left have no desire to do. They have no desire to 
to teach and to work with people so that they are presented to Christ complete and mature. Um, because we believe, as Paul says in First Timothy, the only way to, uh, to equip a human for good works is through the, the Word of God. And it's not higher education. Right. It's not reading better literature. <laughs> right. It's not re- watching really good films or going to art shows. That stuff doesn't make you equipped for good works. It's only God's word. Um, and I think, I think that as I think we have to remember that while there are some things in here that we would do, we do agree with. Like we want. We want there to be, as you were saying earlier, we want want people as they work a job that they get an honest pay, right? We want all that, and we and we should strive to see that, and we should try to encourage people in our church that disagree with some of those things to point them not through force or to be more educated, but to show them the truth of the Bible, and that should point them and soften their hearts. Um, and so, um, anyways, that's one of the last things I wanted to say. Yeah, so uh, this is um, uh, what, what I, I hope for out of this is uh, the things that we've said is uh, our, the center of our heart, the center of identity is in Christ. And there are all these, everybody's going to have more peripheral things to their identity, and that's fine. Sure. In fact, uh, God used some of that to, to bring you to him, and he intends to redeem uh, all of that. Right. Um, but there's, there's some very practical questions that, that I, I think are missed uh, by this account, and it explains the history of the religious left. And uh, listen, I mean, uh, there's, believe me, there's no pride in sharing the numbers that we have shared. This is not a numbers game. Right. I actually don't desire, I don't look at any church body and say, oh, I hope they fail. Listen, I want, I want people to cling to Christ, right. not to some idea of self-help or some idea of, hey, buck up, you can do better. Uh, listen, the, the Bible is not a self-help book. The Bible right. explains to you what has happened in this broken world that you're in, to the broken heart that you have. Right. And it is, it is the only way to clarify what is going on. Please don't treat it like a self-help book. Right. Way higher than that. Right. So that's the central problem I see here. Yeah, very good. All right, well, that's what we got. And so we'll be back next week, God willing, uh, with Empires of the Future. All right. We'll We'll see you in the future. When I was a boy.